I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 380 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday, January 16th, 2022. You are not listening to this episode until at least Monday, January 17th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day here in the United States. Maybe you're even listening Tuesday morning or Tuesday during the day, January 18th, 2022, the day that Duke plays at Florida State. In men's basketball, we are recording this episode soon after we recorded our NC State recap. So if there was any sort of interesting news, mildly interesting news on Monday or Sunday evening that came around, uh, you may notice we're not talking about it, but we have plenty else to talk about between previewing that Florida State game and a cool Duke run-in that one of the members of the podcast had over the weekend. So I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Guys, we don't need to spend too much time asking how you are because I think that your answers would be exactly the same as they were in our last episode. But Jason, hello again. So uh, my answer is a little different because as I look out the window, it is snowing in Atlanta. I I want everyone to understand for what? most of the country, that's like not that big a deal. In Atlanta, it means that our store shelves have been pillaged of any items that possibly could be useful during an extended snow break. It means that the roads are going to be treacherous. It is just, our, my city just does not handle snow at all. <laughs> that is, uh, that's actually somewhat terrifying. Please stay inside. Uh, Donald Wine is, is also here. Donald, how are you? I'm doing good, just as it was an hour ago. I did go to the store before we recorded this morning uh, so that I can get all my supplies because, Jason, that snow, and we will also get ice and sleet and freezing rain. We are getting all of it, uh, and it is headed our way. So fear not. It'll, it should be over soon, but you're just sending it all my way. Come on, bring, bring me all the winter weather. <laughs> I think since the beginning of last week, the wind chill where I live has been under zero degrees Fahrenheit as much as it's been over zero degrees Fahrenheit. So now I'm just now I'm just hardened for for this sort of thing. I'm I'm this is just regular for me. Don't don't even bother me anymore. All right, guys, as I said, we need to preview Duke's game against Florida State on Tuesday. Florida State, of course, is one of those teams that is often one of the best in the ACC. I think that still holds true this year, at least by the metrics, although uh, their their overall ranking this year is not exactly where they normally would be. I said that we also have. 
uh, some fun audio that we need to play for you. But let's start with the Florida State game, which happens Tuesday night. I'm not sure exactly when you, the listener, are, are consuming this, but that game is Tuesday night. It's a 9 p.m. tip in Tallahassee. So Duke is going on the road, which has been somewhat challenging for the Blue Devils uh, this season. Not that they've played many road games, but it is somewhat challenging. Uh, and they're going to play Leonard Hamilton's team that has a fair amount of talent. They uh, they have some skill. They, they, they have some experience. Donald, I'm going to let you kick off our Florida State preview here because you like looking at the results and sort of where this team has come from. So why don't you start us off? Tell us a bit about Florida State. Well, like you said, Sam, they are doing fairly well, but they're not doing as well as they have been, you know, used to we've used to see from Florida State in previous years. They're 10 and five on the season. They are four and two in the ACC. I think most notably their best wins have been over the last three games in the conference. They won on Saturday uh, against Syracuse, which mind you is the second time they've faced Syracuse this season already. They are done with Syracuse. They did lose to Syracuse last month, uh, but they, they previously beat Louisville and Miami. Those are the, probably the best three wins that they had. And I'll talk a little bit about the Miami game because I think it was interesting uh, that particular game, they won by one point. They were at home uh, hosting Miami. And at that point, Miami had just come off of a, a road win here at Duke and was undefeated in the conference. They had great performances on Miami side from Charlie Moore and from Cameron Mugusti. But in the end, Florida State won at the free throw line. They were 13 of 16, which doesn't seem like much. But when they were able to get to the free throw line, they were able to knock down shots. They didn't have as many made baskets as Miami did. They really didn't wow anything with, with, with rebounds or distribution of the sense. They just kept fighting and kept using the momentum of the crowd to will them to this victory. And again, at the end of the day, going 13 for 16 from the line, they made six more free throws than Miami. They end up winning by one point. So every one of those we talked about on Duke side, where it is essential to make free throws, especially down the stretch. Florida State was able to do that, and they were able to preserve the victory against Miami. So this is going to be a team that's not going to quit. We know Leonard Hamilton very, very well. I think we, we all agree that he is one of our favorite non-Duke coaches in the ACC. But the man always has Florida State ready to play. And for all of us Duke fans, we remember every single time we go to Florida State, it is always a battle. We have lost several big games there. A lot of times it's the number one team in the nation. So Florida State is not going to be scared by us. They're not. They're going to be ready for this fight, and that crowd will be energized and ready to go. So Duke is going to have to come out like they did in the second half of the Wake Forest game, determined to take everybody in that gym out of the basketball game early and make sure the momentum stays Duke blue. Yeah, Donald, to your point about making the free throws, Tallahassee is is one of those great, uh, you know, great spots for ACC basketball. The crowd always gets into it when, when Duke comes to visit. So uh, th this Duke team got to enjoy playing, I think a little sloppy and a little uh, overextending themselves against NC state that you can get away with when you're at home. And when the crowd is in your favor, it's a totally different vibe when you are playing a hostile ACC crowd. So that is going to be an interesting thing to watch. Jason Evans, I want to give it to you next because you like looking at the, the advanced stats on this Florida state team and they are, uh, they are a fascinating bunch this season. Yeah. So this Florida state team is 53rd in Ken Palm. Um, and that 
that makes them one of the really disappointing teams in the ACC thus far. Uh, a lot of people expected them to be significantly better than this. As Donald mentioned, we're used to Florida State being a top 20 Ken Palm team. Um, and, and like Donald mentioned, they've, they've shown those signs of life lately with the, the three straight wins in the ACC. Um, and, and I think there's a pretty good argument to be made that Florida State is a strong contender to be the third best team in the ACC. You know, them, Miami, Wake Forest, Notre Dame, those are the teams that are sort of appear to be vying for like that number three spot in the ACC with Duke pretty clearly number one and UNC pretty clearly number two right now. Uh, like I mentioned, they're 53rd in Ken Palm. They have the 87th best offense, Florida State does, and the 35th best defense. And I want to talk about that defense first. They really don't allow you to get out and run. They're really good at forcing teams not to fast break and to work late into the shot clock. They aren't quite Virginia in terms of their ability to slow you down, but, but they're close. Um, uh, their D is 25th in turnover percentage, thanks to them getting a lot of steals. Their steal percentage is 13.8. That means every time you have the ball on offense, there's a 13.8% chance that Florida State's going to steal it. That's really, really good, like top 10 in the country good. They also block a ton of shots. Their block percentage, 25th in the country. But we, you know, we, we know, we've talked in this podcast about the fact that if you go for blocks, you don't get defensive rebounds. They are not a very good defensive rebounding team. So they can be attacked that way. Um, I want to talk about their offense now. They, they really, you know, as I looked for like, oh, maybe there are things that they do really well and things they don't do well. They don't do anything great on offense. They don't do anything awful, but they don't do anything great. They hit about 35% of their threes. Good, not great. They hit about 50% of their two-point shots. Good, not great. Um, it's tough to get steals against them. You know, Duke is a team that thrives on getting steals. It, it'll, it'll be difficult, I think, to get steals against them. But sort of weirdly, they, they are a team that just throws the ball away sometimes. Their turnover percentage is pretty mediocre, not because they give up steals, but because they like, you know, just turn it over in other ways, which is, you know, kind of weird. Um, uh, the other thing to talk about is their size. According to Ken Palm, this Florida State team is number one, the biggest team in college basketball. They have four seven-footers on the team. Now, two of them barely play at all, but the reason that the computers say that this Florida State team is the biggest team in the land is because they quite literally don't have anyone who's small. Like 6'4", Raekwon Evans, 6'4", he's the smallest guy on the team. Most of the time, they're going to have four or five guys who are 6'6", or taller on the floor. Duke is used to, you know, that, that sounds sort of similar to what Duke does. Duke is used to having guys, like Wendell Moore is used to playing a guy smaller than him. Trevor Keels is used to playing a guy smaller than him. That's not going to be the case against Florida State. It's just not. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention, uh, we, need to, we need to find out if Malik Osborne, how badly he's injured. He's a 6'9 senior for them. He's their second leading scorer. He's their leading rebounder. He has really nice touch from three. Malik Osborne is arguably he's maybe their first or second best player on the team. He didn't play in their win against Syracuse the other day. He was in a walking boot. He hurt his, uh, uh, his ankle against Wake Forest. Um, and he's tried to play through it a little bit, but he was not able to play through it at all against, against Syracuse. He is the guy who would likely match up against Paulo Bancaro. For every team, when you play Duke, the key matchup is do you have someone who has the size 
and the foot speed to be able to play with Paulo Bancaro. Because if they could have size, Paulo will take them outside and go around them. They could have the speed, and Paulo will take them inside and power over them, which it's what make, makes Paulo so unique. Malik Osborne is a rare thing in this country in that he is a guy who has the size and he has the foot speed to be able to play with Paulo. And so it's going to be really interesting and really important to note whether or not they have him for this game. And then the last thing to talk about with them is Leonard Hamilton loves to play a lot of guys. I looked back virtually every game that Florida state has played this year. They've played 10, sometimes 11 guys, eight plus minutes. Like he's going to go deep on his bench and uh, you know, for Duke, that is, we've struggled a little bit with conditioning coming out of the COVID thing. You don't want to let Florida state, you know, use that bench to, to make you tired and lean on you. So those are the things I, I I've got on this game. I'm glad you brought up the, the depth because as much as I'm going to tell you about a handful of guys that are particularly interesting for Florida state, the fact remains that whether Osborne is, is available or not, Florida state's going to cycle through a lot of guys and they're going to keep guys fresh. Nobody is playing or almost nobody plays over 30 minutes a game. Like it's, it's rare for guys to play 30 minutes in a game for Florida state, even the most talented players on this team. And Jason, you pointed out the size Leonard Hamilton always brings size. Like it doesn't matter how much turnover there's been on this team. Somehow Leonard Hamilton just finds big dudes to play for him. And uh, they are, they are often talented this season, as you pointed out, uh, somewhat disappointing relative to what I would think are normal Florida state expectations. They can absolutely still make the tournament, but they are not going to be the two, three, four, five seed type that they've been in recent seasons. Uh, if they're making the tournament this year, it's probably as a eight, nine, 10, 11 seed. Uh, as you pointed out, they're in the fifties in Ken Palm and they don't have, as we will say with every ACC opponent, that many opportunities, they do get two games against Duke. Um, so, so there, there are going to be two shots, but the one on Tuesday is the one that they get in Tallahassee. So once again, a game where Duke is, is coming in there to be the marquee opportunity for the opponent. I did want to, uh, move over and, and talk about some of the players you, you highlighted Malik Osborne. Uh, he has been at Florida state for a few years. I think he's one of the guys that Duke fans will recognize and uh, whether he plays in this game is going to be, um, is going to be key for FSU. Cause obviously he's, he's essential, uh, especially around the glass. And, and as you pointed out, likely the guy that would not would match up with Paulo Bancaro sort of most often they, they have sort of similar physical profiles and Florida state brings dudes who are true centers that I think will, will match up more obviously against Mark Williams and Theo John, but the, the highlight sort of standout player for FSU this season, I believe is Caleb Mills, who's a transfer point guard. He comes from Houston where it was a, it was a sort of weird career for him at Houston his freshman season, he was excellent there. He comes in as a uh, as an academic junior. I have I, I cannot comment any more at all on on what years anyone is in terms of eligibility because it's all messed up <laughs> during COVID. But Caleb Mills had an outstanding freshman season at Houston. He was the AAC's preseason player of the year headed into last season. So that would be the the 2020-2021 season, which would have been the the weirdest COVID year, I think. Um, he only played the first handful of games. He dealt with some injuries. He dealt with, uh, I believe he dealt with COVID early in the season and then basically just removed himself from the team early in January. So like this time last year, Caleb Mills was off the, he, he was, he was sort of opting out of the rest of the season. It, it, it looked like he was going to transfer, but the, the circumstances around it were kind of weird, especially given that 
coming into the season, he was, uh, he, he had such high expectations. He had only been a three-star recruit, but, uh, but, but came in with all the expectations. So last season he opts out, he doesn't play most of the season and then chooses to transfer to Florida state. So he is now one of the star players for Leonard Hamilton and has been having just an absolutely excellent season for them um, acting as their point guard, but, but grabbing some rebounds. Um, he's not the best shooter or he's not the best scorer. Rather he's a pretty decent shooter from outside um, shoots 38% from three, very respectable. And something that I think that any Duke players shooting it at any you know reasonable volume would, would love to have. He's also a North Carolina native. So uh, it's going to be, I'm sure that this is one of those games where he gets excited to play against teams that I'm sure he, he grew up watching on TV all the time. So I got a quick comment about Caleb Mills. You're going to love this guys. So I was looking at Ken Palm, Ken Pomeroy does a thing where if you click on an individual player, it'll tell you who that player is most similar to over their career. At this moment in his career, Caleb Mills is one of the guys he's most similar to is Cinderius Thornwell of South Carolina. Who? Absolutely, oh, I don't like that. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. I saw the name and I was like, oh, no. Yeah, uh, folks, if you don't remember, uh, Duke was knocked out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, Jason Tatum's freshman year, his one year on campus by South Carolina. Um, and Cinderius Thornwell was their star, and he just absolutely torched Duke in that game. So I'm just hoping Caleb Mills does not do a Thornwell on us this time. We also uh, pointed out that that Florida State is is tough on defense. Uh, Caleb Mills is is the the head of that that effort. So uh, it'll be curious to see, given how much size Florida State has, sort of who's matching up with who. I assume that Mills is going to be matching up on Trevor Keels, but uh, that'll be kind of an interesting. Um, Interesting matchup to watch, especially on the defensive side for Florida State. A couple other guys that are that are sort of interesting for them. You mentioned Malik Osborne. Uh, we'll see if he plays in this game. Um, but Florida State also has a a true center who is seven footer John Butler. Um, this is a guy who is you know he's not he's not playing the most minutes on this team, but um, but is is one of these uh, these big uh, rim protector type guys. Uh, another player who's fascinating for them, who's not a returning player, uh, he's a freshman, is Matthew Cleveland. And uh, I'm curious, Jason, if you if you remember Matthew Cleveland as a as a high school player, because he is a he's an Atlanta native, and I believe went to Pace Academy. Um, so <laughs> possible you would have seen him. Oh wow, yeah, no, I know Pace Academy really well. I I don't recall Matthew Cleveland at all from from Pace Academy, but uh, I I know that school pretty. You well. almost certainly. I mean, I don't know how many years he played there, but but he's a he's a he's a real five star recruit for them. Uh, I believe right now he's coming off the bench, uh, but coming off the bench in a in a very significant way. You could say coming off the bench in in the way that AJ Griffin was until very recently for Duke, where uh, he's playing a really significant role. He is also kind of in that similar uh, sort of mid mid-size guy he's a he's a wing player um can score uh, can play a lot of defense so another guy that is going to be interesting to see how duke matches up against and you know florida state as as well as leonard hamilton does as at, at, at putting a roster together he's not often getting you know a, a ton of five-star guys obviously they've had a little bit more success in that recently but uh, Matthew Cleveland would be would would definitely be a a highlight recruit for Leonard Hamilton. He was ranked 25th in the class um, coming into or at the end of of his senior year last year, and has been really great for Florida State early in the season here. So that's going to be a guy to watch. Wonder if he will will stick around for a sophomore season, or if he's just going to be so great as a as a super sub as a freshman that he goes into the draft. 
by the way, um, their previous game against Syracuse, when Malik Osborne did not play at all, th- did you see who they started instead of Malik Osborne? They went sort of deeper down their bench and they started Nahim McLeod, who is a 7'4", 255-pound player. 7'4". Now, I don't think Nahim McLeod, if they, if they start him against Duke, Paulo Bancaro is just going to take that guy on the perimeter. There's just no way Nahim McLeod at 7'4", 255 has the speed to stay in front of Paulo. <laughs> but uh, I was just intrigued that they started him and John Butler. So they started two seven-footers against Syracuse. Florida State is big. He is not. He is no Taco Fall, though. Let's be clear. I mean, true. He, he can. He can be beat. A couple other guys just that are that are worth kind of pointing out. Uh, Jason, you mentioned Raekwon Evans, who's the smallest rotation player on the team and is still pretty good. He's kind of their uh, their their second guard, their shooting guard. Um, so he's he's in get his ninth season there, I think. Right? I feel like Raekwon Evans. Yeah, something there. something like that. Yeah, he's and been then, there since before we started doing the podcast. <laughs> and another uh, another interesting uh, transfer. This is it's uh, Leonard Hamilton has done a good job this year on the transfer market because I mentioned he got Caleb Mills, who came over from Houston, but he also has um, former big prospect Cameron Fletcher, who was at Kentucky last season and is now at Florida State. So a guy who comes with some pedigree. I think he was underwhelming last year from Kentucky. Uh, Duke didn't get to play them last year, but but a guy who certainly comes in with uh, with his own expectations. He's coming off the bench for them right now. He's a he's he's another bigger guy. He'll be a a backup big, but expect him to get some good minutes for Florida State. If it's not in this game, then then at some point in this season. So that's kind of the the preview on their guys. But as we said, um, they're they're running nine or ten deep on on this roster it is not the way duke puts their roster together uh so it is definitely going to be a matchup of of conflicting uh, playing styles florida state likes to likes to rotate guys in and out a lot um they slow the ball down a lot on defense so the the thing that i'm going to be interested to see is how much is duke able to run the break speed florida state up get easy baskets get transition baskets if Duke is forced to play in the half court more, um, that really plays into Florida State's um, plans here. And I and I wonder if the Duke offense is ready to combat a, a defense that that slows it down and plays very deliberately like that. Of course, you know th- this is one time where Duke has to play that way. Duke also has to play Virginia at some point, so you might as well uh, get your get your licks in um, playing a, a tough, slow defense in preparation for the Who's, if nothing else. So we will look forward to the game on Tuesday, but right now we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, Jason had a had an interesting encounter this weekend, so we need to we need to catch you up on that. It should be an interesting conversation about a former Duke assistant who is now a head coach. Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist 
and help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. As we mentioned, we have some special uh, audio that we need to play for you. And I'm going to let Jason explain the whole situation here because because uh, it's a pretty fun story, even outside of the content that we're going to share with you. Yeah, there's there's a whole thing happening here. <laughs> so uh, as, as folks know who listen to this podcast, I love to uh, to speak and have people hear my voice. And part of that is I am the public address announcer for the Galloway School, which is the school that my two sons attended. It's actually where I also went to school here in Atlanta. Um, when they have basketball games, I'm the voice of the Scots. They are known as the Scots, and I'm the voice of the Scots. So the other day, uh, just a couple days ago, I was calling the game. Um, you know, I'm sort of uh, quiet and reserved when the other team scores, and I get very excited and, um, you know, doing all kinds of uh, funky stuff with my voice when, when Galloway scores. And at halftime of the game, Someone in the stands comes up to me uh, and he says, are, are, are you Jason Evans? I'd never seen him before. I didn't know who he was. And I went, uh, yeah, yes, I am. Do I know you? I, I apologize. I don't recognize you. And he said, my name's Jeff Feldstein. I'm Duke class of 1993. And I recognized your voice. I listened to your podcast. Um, and he'd heard me announcing and he was like, wait, I know that guy. He said he listens to us on one and a half speed um, because he listens to us while he's jogging and it makes him run faster. So uh, Jeff Feldstein, big fan of the podcast and, and heard me. And I, I do that, that was, too. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a very big 1.5x. Can, can I ask Jeff a question? Jeff, I also am a, am a sped up podcast listener. I do not think this is an uncommon practice. I do one. I find well, that yeah. I can't listen to our show at one and a half speed. I think we speak too quickly. So, uh, <laughs> sir, you, you must have a uh, better sense of hearing than I do. And it's funny. There are moments where like my, my earbuds will get, will get uh, disconnected and my girlfriend will hear the podcasts that I'm listening to. And she'll be like, I don't understand how you can do that. So, uh, Mr. Feldstein, I am impressed with you, sir, that you can listen to this show at one and a half. Real quick, I, I will say I do listen to this podcast in 1.5x for the reason, Sam, that you just alluded to, to make sure that I can listen to myself and say, hey, I need to slow myself down sometimes when I speak. And it's something that my dad talks about all the time, but 
is very, very informative for me as I do all these podcasts to listen at a speed that most people listen to. So I know to slow down. But Jason, that's not even the best part oh, of no. the encounters that you had this weekend at the right. basketball yeah. game. Con- continue, please. Yes. So, right. That's the, that's the preamble to all of this. So I'm sitting there, I'm calling the game and I look across the gym and, and it's worth noting that uh, Galloway, the team that I was calling has a, a player um, who his name is Anthony Arrington Jr. Um, we call him Ant. Uh, Ant is arguably the best player that our school's ever had. We're not a great basketball power. Um, so I, I look across the gym and, and look, I, I'm old. I don't have great vision. Everyone's wearing masks. But I see a guy and I'm like, wow, that's that's a big dude. That guy just sitting there, he, he you know, he he's so large that he looks out of place. And he was wearing, you know, he's wearing like a sweatsuit. Um, didn't look like he was related to any of the players. And, and I noticed there was like an emblem on the sweatsuit, but it wasn't like a Nike or anything like that. And my son was there with me. My son went to Galloway and, and he'd come with me to, to watch the teams play because our teams are really good this year. They're both ranked in the top 10 in the state. And, and I said to him, I go, Drew, my son's name is Drew. I'm like, Drew, I, I think that might be Nate James. And Drew goes, wait, the Duke player, why would he be here? And I said, well, Nate's the head coach of Austin P now, and he might be recruiting Ant. Um, and Drew's like, no way, come on, really? And I'm like, yeah, I think. Now, again, the guy's wearing a mask. But when the game ended, I went over, I looked at him, and I'm like, I recognize, I'm like, Nate. And Nate knows me because I've interviewed him several times as part of this podcast. And so Nate and I chatted for a couple minutes. Uh, he was, in fact, I'm not sure. I'm like, I don't think I'm giving anything away. I hope I'm not revealing anything to say that Nate was there recruiting uh, Anthony Arrington Jr. Um, uh, they, they, uh, they, Austin P had a game get canceled. And so Nate sort of had a free night and he decided to fly to Atlanta and, and look at a, a player for, for Galloway. I was just was so excited about it. But Nate agreed um, to, to come uh, with me. Walk, we walked over to sort of a side of the gym that was a little bit quieter. And, and I chatted with him just a little bit. I'm about to play that audio for all of you, just talking to him about how things are going at Austin P. And also you're going to hear some news in here uh, about the Coach K transition and what Nate and the coaching staff knew about Coach K's decision to retire. All right, so Nate, the first question I got for you, I got to ask, what's it like coaching at Austin P? Very different from being at Duke, right? Oh, yeah, most definitely. It's... Um... Whenever you move over a seat and you're no longer uh, making suggestions, but you're you're you're, you're the one that uh, everyone's looking at for the answers. So, you know that's uh, that that you're in a hot seat then. But uh, really enjoying it and obviously trying to take as much as I can. Uh, all the things I've learned from from Coach K being at Duke and trying to help my group and. It's an honor, obviously, to be a head coach and be the leader of some young man in, in, in a university that's given me the honor and the privilege of being a head coach. But uh, it's a lot different, a lot different when you move over a chair. <laughs> now, you were saying earlier you knew when you took the job that Coach K was uh, about to retire, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that we've, he's talked about over the years, and like every year is one of those, hey, this is going to be, this could be my last year, guys, and then the next year comes, hey, this could be my last year, guys, you know. So you, you know that it's coming closer uh, and closer towards the end, um, but you don't know exactly when, but then when you know, when he says, hey, guys, this is it, you prepare for it, and you go out there and you, you, you show up to work every day even harder because you know that uh, the time with the, with the GOAT is running out and you want to give your all for him. And I, I felt bad during my last year because it was our COVID year, 
And, um, you know, it, Cameron wasn't Cameron, right, you know, right. it's no fans. And I think that was the first year that, you know, we've missed the, the tournament and, I, and only God knows how long. So, you know, my last with, year with coach wasn't the way I wanted to go out, you know, and but uh, to see him this year and, and when I do have opportunity to, you know, watch, uh, you know, my Duke guys get up and down, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always cheering for them and I, I, wanna, I want them to really appreciate every second they have with coach. Okay, so as an opposing coach now, you said you've watched them a little bit. What's your assessment of this year's Duke team? Oh, man, I, I tell you, I wouldn't want to play them. I tell you that, you know, they, they, they're loaded. You know, I think they're, they're playing together. They're playing tough. And they're like an old Duke team in terms of how hard they play on the defensive end. I think they, they, they check all the boxes in terms of the guard play, the shooting, the versatile guys, the big guys who's protecting their basket, you know, great guys coming off the bench. So they're a handful, but I really enjoy watching them. And uh, my, my guys, uh, uh, Carowell and Shire and, and Nolan, and then I'm a man, uh, Emil Jeffers is back there on, on staff. So and whenever I get a chance, opportunity to watch them, you know, I, I do so. Hey, before we go really quick, have you talked to John Shire at all about moving into the big job? No, 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 not right now. You know, every now and then he'll, he'll text me something and we'll joke. But, uh, you know, I, I just want him and all the guys on the staff to really, really, you know, just soak up every second of, of working for Coach and learning from him and just experiencing everything that comes with, you know, this last season of Coach K. Okay, and, and actually last thing I want to ask you is give me an assessment of where Austin P is now and where you hope to take the things. Well, right now we're in the building, building stages. And anybody who's ever built anything, they know that uh, there's a lot of hard times, a lot of frustrating times, a lot of, uh, you know, angst of uh, 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 building and, and, and trying to create. And right now we're laying a foundation. We're trying to figure out, you know, uh, uh, what direction in terms of recruits and who to bring in. And we're going to lose some seniors. And so just in the building process, but I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And I, I think uh, over time, you know, just like I've done all my life, you know, I've won and I've figured it out. And I, I plan on doing the same thing here at Austin P. I love it. That's perfect. Thanks a lot, Nate. Thank you. Appreciate it. So as you heard, um, when Nate, you know, there were people who didn't know if when Nate left for the Austin P job, if he knew that coach K was retiring and that John Shire was going to be selected. And, and now it's, you know, Nate has confirmed that, that they all knew that coach K was going to announce his retirement plans. And I guess they probably also knew that, that John Shire was the guy who was going to get the job. And that's probably one of the reasons that, that Nate decided to move on because Nate and John Shire had, had both been there for a pretty good length of time. And, and, you know, there was some perception that they were sort of two of the front runners for, uh, for taking over for coach K. And it's also, you know, great to hear Nate talk about how things are going there and, and, you know, his recruiting and what he's building and the such. He's just, he's a really impressive guy. Anytime you're around him, anytime you talk to him, you can sense that he has, um, he has a good head on his shoulders. And I think he's really going to do some good things at, at Austin P. Uh, and, and, and it'd be really fun. I hope that he ends up um, offering a scholarship to Anthony Arrington and that Ant gets to play there. Cause it'd be really fun for me to have, a guy I know playing for a dookie. I, I think it's interesting when he when he mentioned that he kind of knew that Coach K was about to announce his retirement. I feel like that's kind of what we had insinuated or at least speculated on because of how quick it happened, right? Like he may not have announced it in April, but when he left, we, we talked about the article that Brendan Marks from The Athletic wrote about the process of going, of getting to the, to the situation where coach K was going to retire and John Shire was going to take over. They mentioned that 
he had just left when coach K had gathered the other staff in the locker room and said, Hey, I'm, I'm about to retire. So I feel like this was something where, again, we, we even talk about some of these things where, Hey, is there a spot opening up here? And you see guys that will eventually take a job and leave the program to go and lead their lead a program somewhere else. And it's because of some of the, you know, the shuffling of the deck chairs. Right. But I think in that case, it was definitely, Hey, this is a good opportunity for me, but also there's going to be some changes around here very soon. And, uh, and now that I have a chance to take this program, I can do that now, knowing that I'm not in the running for what is about to come down, you know, Coach K about to retire. So I feel like he probably knew, and I, it didn't come as a surprise to me, but I do think that it started the, the rearranging and probably accelerated the timeline a little bit in Coach K making his announcement to his staff that says, hey, this is what's about to happen. It felt like uh, reading reading that article and, and reading some of the other stuff that came out around the announcement of coach K's retirement and John Shire getting the, the job to replace him, John Shire getting that role feel. It sounds like it, it was more inevitable from those inside the program. So Nate was probably like, look, it's not like I'm, it's not like my role would even be changing here. So why not go start getting my, my head coaching experience um, I, I, I don't want to speculate about different members of the Duke family sort of looking at like, oh, what happens if John Shire fails? And what happens if the Duke job is open again in a few years? Like, am I in, in the right position for that? Whether it's that job that, that Nate eventually wants or it's some other job, um, you might as well get, get going on that. Nate's not that young either. Um, he's already in his 40s. So it's, it's certainly time for him to be uh, getting experience as a head coach. And and I think when we we talked about him getting that job back in in April of last year, because he got that job basically right after the season ended, he I I don't know that the Austin P job is is quite as high profile as some of the other recent jobs that the Duke assistants have left for uh, jobs like Pitt, Northwestern, um, Stanford, Marquette that you know other other recent assistants have gone to, but it's a it's a program that's sort of in the same vicinity as Duke. I'm sure that. Nate doesn't have to doesn't have to go that far to recruit tons of talent for a school that that it's over in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, obviously he's flying to Atlanta to to see players that that uh, that Jason sees on a regular basis. But um, it, you know, a good opportunity for him, and and it was cool to uh, to catch up with him and hear that he's still you know still keeping some tabs on the program. By the way, do you guys know who the best player is on Austin P this year? It I is, don't know who the best player on Austin P is this year. I only know because I looked it up. It is Caleb Stone Carowell. You can probably guess from that last name who Caleb's dad is. Is he is he better or worse than the average Bayheim child? Uh, it's a tough <laughs> call. That's uh, I'm not sure. Uh, he's averaging 13 points per game um, and three rebounds and two assists. He's their leading scorer. Um, probably Wait, worse. Probably worse than Chris Carowell. Right Chris Carowell has a has a son who's a who's a college basketball player yes he does man he he got he got on that quickly because uh, because <laughs> it's only 2022 chris carowell graduated from college 22 years ago so um they grow up fast they do they do but anyway i yeah i hope you know i i know nate is looking to um you know remake the the austin p squad they, they haven't austin p has not been very good this year it's not really nate's fault that you know um, it, it, you know, he was, he was dealt a hand and he's trying to do the best he can with it. And I know he's, um, looking to, to, you know, remake his roster, 
uh, over the next couple of years. Uh, but but it sounds like Caleb Stone Carowell is uh, is a keeper. All right. So we will leave the conversation there. We, of course, will be back after the Florida State game to recap that and preview uh, the game that will follow it, which is uh, Duke is playing Syracuse uh, in Durham this this coming weekend on Saturday. So we'll preview that game later in the week after the FSU game. But until then. Stay in touch hey, with hey us. Sam, how much are Syracuse at Durham tickets going for? I, I not I was talking to you guys about this earlier. Yeah. Not as much as I as I expected. So uh, Duke fans, uh, you know, if you want to if you want to get in the door, um, you, you you can get in there for under a thousand dollars, which is which is what I thought was going to be the asking price for Duke Syracuse tickets in Cameron this season. But um, but don't don't people, snatch up all the tickets for less in than case we need them. Two people for less than a thousand. That's yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So um, pretty impressive. Okay, until then, stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. I think we told you on the last episode that we'd love to hear your headlines from these games because we try to come up with them and be clever, but we do not have a monopoly on, on that activity. So, so send us those, send us other thoughts, send us anything. We love it. Uh, we love interacting with people. Rate and review all the places that you get podcasts. I'm sure every podcast host that you listen to tells you the same thing. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 380 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. Uh, On the topic of old comedy, I uh, recently came across, you know how um, George Carlin was a... um, was one of the guys on the Thomas the Tank Engine show. Yes. Mm-hmm. He played Mr. Conductor. Yes. Uh, I came across a series of YouTube videos that's George Carlin as Mr. Com- Conductor, but with George Carlin stand-up spliced in. into the... It's incredible. There's like... There's there's probably an hour of it on YouTube. It's amazing. That's, that's amazing. It's really, really, really good. I'll find I'll find some of the links and send them to you. I mean, that's that's great. That uh, That is brilliant. Big, Big George Carlin fan, so this this was a uh, this is a gold mine for me.